Welcome to Episode 1 of Advent, A Season of Penitence and Preparation. I'm Father Ron Shibley, founder and director of the Anglican Internet Church. This series is part of the AIC's programs of teaching videos intended as instruction on each of the seasons on the Anglican Church calendar. The focus in Episode 1 is a discussion of the history and purpose of Advent season, Anglican traditions of Advent, the collects, canticles, opening sentences, epistle, and gospel readings for the first two Sundays in Advent in the 1928 Book of Common Prayer, and music for Advent season in the St. Chrysostom hymnal, which is not found in the venerable 1940 hymnal. The title, Advent, is derived from the 12th century Middle English and Latin word Adventus, which literally means arrival, or in church usage, coming. The Feast of Advent began in Europe around the 4th century in the regions of present-day Spain and ancient Gaul, which included present-day France, the Benelux countries, northern Italy, and the part of Germany west of the Rhine. It was a season of preparation for the celebration of Christmas on December 25th, which had also begun in the 4th century. It was elevated in status to become the start of the Anglican Church year with the publication of the 1549 Book of Common Prayer. Before then, in the Roman Church tradition from which the Anglican tradition descends, Christmas Day was the start of the church year. The illustration is an oil-on-canvas portrait of Archbishop Thomas Cranmer, primary author of the Book of Common Prayer of 1549, painted from life in 1545 A.D. by court painter Gerlach Flick from the collection of the National Portrait Gallery in London, England. In the modern world, especially among many Protestant denominations, Advent is often confused with the Church's celebration of Christmas. In fact, Advent is a season for penitence and for preparation, not for one event, but for two. The first, following the old Roman Church tradition, is the Nativity of Our Lord, commonly called Christmas Day, celebrated on December 25th. Beginning with the 1549 Book of Common Prayer, the second event for which Anglicans prepare at Advent is his promised second coming to judge the world, whenever that may be. The illustration is an Advent wreath in a Lutheran church somewhere in Europe on Christmas Eve in the year 2012 A.D. There will be more about Advent wreaths in a moment. The Anglican Church calendar is a combination of fixed and movable feasts. The calendar begins with the fixed feast of Advent, which always ends on December 24th, Christmas Eve. The first Sunday in Advent is always celebrated on the Sunday which is closest to the fixed feast of St. Andrew, November 30th. That means that the earliest possible date for first Sunday in Advent is November 27th, and the latest is December 
third. Appropriately, as a penitential season like Lent, the liturgical color for stoles, chasubles, paraments, and the draping of crosses in Advent season is purple. Another tradition of Advent is the suspension of the singing of the Gloria, which is not sung again until Christmas morning or at a Christmas Eve service using the Christmas Day liturgy, the latter permitted under the second rubric on page 90 in the Book of Common Prayer. Some Anglican jurisdictions also avoid the saying of Alleluia's during Advent. In my former parish, I read the Great O Antiphon's office on Christmas Eve, based upon the original service from the Roman church tradition of the 12th century. I'll have more to say about the book version and companion seasonal video in episode 2. The illustrations are an external cross draped in purple and a purple stole offered at Amazon.com. Another tradition observed in many Anglican parishes is the Advent wreath and associated Advent wreath ceremonies. Advent wreaths were introduced into Christian worship by the Lutheran Church in Europe. The modern form, shown in the illustration, dates to the early 19th century. The wreath has four candles in a circle, one for each Sunday in Advent, and a white center candle, often called the Christ candle, which is not lighted until Christmas Day. Three of the four outer ring candles are purple. These are lighted on the first, second, and fourth Sundays in Advent. The fourth candle in the outer ring is rose. It is lighted on the third Sunday in Advent, also called Gaudet Sunday, from the Latin word meaning joy and which honors the Blessed Virgin Mary. A full text of the Advent wreath ceremony I developed at my former parish from the model given me by the late Father George McClellan, Archdeacon of the United Episcopal Church of North America, is available on pages 171 to 176 in the AIC Bookstore publication Occasional Services for Anglican Worship, which is available in paperback and Kindle versions using the virtual bookstore link at the bottom of the homepage www.anglicaninternetchurch.net. The paperback version can also be ordered through commercial bookstores. Other traditions of Advent included the greening of the altar, in which clergy and parishioners participate in decorating with natural materials and which avoids commercial Christmas decorations. In my former parish, I used magnolia leaves, which I sprayed uh, with gold paint, and cuttings with red holly berries and other green foliage from the holly tree. Another tradition is the use of chrismons instead of commercial ornaments for the parish tree. Chrismons can be any symbol of Christ, including the Cairo emblem, which is Greek for Christ resurrected, and the cross, such as the one in the illustration, a circa 360 A.D. bas-relief sarcophagus carving excavated at Rome between 1817 and 1821. 
The carving has been part of the collection of the Vatican Museum, or Museo Pio Cristiano, since 1825 A.D. Finally, there is the unwritten tradition of avoidance of Christmas carols during Advent, at least until on or near Christmas Eve, when separate lessons and carol services, modeled after that at King's College, Cambridge University's popular lessons and carols for Christmas Eve, are common in the United States. Faced with the modern trend of Christmas themes starting before Thanksgiving and Christmas being a short season of only 12 days, some American parishes offer a weeknight carol singing service in the evening during the final week before Christmas Day. The Collect for First Sunday in Advent was written by Archbishop Cranmer for the 1549 Book of Common Prayer. The words of the new collect replace the old Roman church model's stir-up theme, which is now celebrated in the Anglican tradition on the Sunday next before Advent, the final Sunday in Trinity season, and discussed in the companion AIC seasonal video series, Trinity Tide, the Teaching Season. Archbishop Cranmer's revised collect for First Sunday in Advent was inspired by the early evangelists incorporating St. John's reference to light versus darkness in John 1 verses 1 to 5, St. Paul's emphasis on spiritual warfare, specifically spiritual armor in Romans 13:12, part of the epistle reading for the day, and also Ephesians 6:10 to 20, which is read on the 21st Sunday after Trinity. St. Luke's theme of the humility of the nativity from Luke 2, 1 to 20, and also of his entry into Jerusalem on a donkey as recounted in the Gospel of Matthew, and the early church's understanding of the timing of the parousia, or expectation, of the scriptural promise of the second coming. The 1662 Book of Common Prayer added a rubric referred to earlier and found on page 90 of the 1928 Book of Common Prayer requiring the Advent Collect to be read in every service until Christmas Day. The illustration is again Gerlach Flick's oil-on-canvas portrait of Archbishop Cranmer painted from life in 1549 A.D. Almighty God, give us grace that we may cast away the works of darkness and put upon us the armor of light, now in the time of this mortal life which, in which thy Son Jesus Christ came to visit us in great humility, that in the last day when he shall come again in his glorious majesty to judge both the quick and the dead, we may rise to the life immortal through him who liveth and reigneth with thee and the Holy Ghost, now and ever. Amen. The epistle reading for First Sunday in Advent is Romans 13, 8-14. There are two parts of the pericope, each with its own distinctive theme, each reflecting a theme of Advent season. The first part is verses 8 to 10, which were not in the old Roman Missal, 
missals and which were added by Archbishop Cranmer in the 1549 Book of Common Prayer. The three additional verses are St. Paul's summary of the commandments or law, especially concerning love, including love of one's neighbor as the fulfillment of the law. Having elsewhere identified faith, hope, and love as Christian virtues, in this pericope, he presents love from the Greek agape as the primary virtue, coming, calling it the sum of all the commandments and the fulfillment of the law. The original pericope verses in the Roman Church uses 8 to 14 refer to the second theme of Advent, the second coming, also known in Scripture as the Day of the Lord. St. Paul wrote in verse 12a that this day is at hand. In Philippians 1.6, he called it the Day of Jesus Christ. Other strong images advise rejecting darkness and encouraging Christians at Rome to, quote, put on the armor of light in verse 12b and live according to Christian virtues, avoiding, quote, lewdness and lust, unquote, and strife and envy, unquote, from verse 13. He concludes with this advice to the Christians at Rome, which St. Augustine, or Augustine in the English style, claimed inspired him to abandon his lustful ways and become a Christian. He says in verse 14, Put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lust. The illustration is an illumination in colored inks and gilt on parchment from the Siegberg Lectionary a private devotional book made in the second quarter of the 12th century at the Benedictine Abbey of St. Michael in Siegburg, Germany, and comes from the Harley Manuscript Collection at the British Library, London, England. The Gospel reading for First Sunday in Advent is Matthew 21, verse 10 to 13. St. Matthew's version of Jesus' entry into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday and also the cleansing of the temple. The account begins with Jesus and the traveling party at Bethphage just outside Jerusalem. Upon entry into the city on Palm Sunday in 30 AD, they are met with large crowds. The illustration is a detail from the 12th century mosaic at the Palace of the Normans, Palermo, Sicily, which depicts Jesus riding a donkey as St. Peter in white robe walks at his left hand, and the people spread clothes and foliage in their path. The heavily gilded Palace of the Normans is now a government building and is considered one of the finest examples of Byzantine architecture anywhere in Europe. The pericope is in two parts, both stressing the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. The first part is St. Matthew's account of the entry into Jerusalem. Jesus instructs two disciples to find him a donkey with this admonition in verse 3. And if anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord has need of them, and immediately he will send them. St. Matthew explains in verse 5 that this fulfilled a prophecy of Zechariah 
in which he quotes from Zechariah 9.9, Tell the daughter of Zion, quote, Behold, your king is coming to you, lowly and sitting on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. Jesus humbly rides the donkey into the city to regal acclaim by, quote, a very great multitude, in verse 8, who spread tree branches and clothes on the road, or palms in the English church tradition. St. Matthew reports in verse 9 that they sang verse 26 of Psalm 118, Hosanna to the Son of David, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. The song is often said by clergy and the people in Anglican communion, although the text is not in the 1928 Book of Common Prayer text. Afterward, the people declare in verse 11, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth of Galilee. In the second part of the pericope, the account of Jesus driving the money changers from the temple, Jesus twice quotes from Old Testament scripture, with the first instance being a citation from the major prophets Isaiah and Jeremiah. He said to them, quote, It is written, My house shall be called a house of prayer, which is Isaiah 56, 7, but you have made it a, quote, den of thieves, which is Jeremiah 7, verse 11. The Pharisees and scribes announced their displeasure in hearing the acclamation of the crowns and demanded of Jesus if he heard what they were saying. Jesus replied with another citation from the book of Psalms with the histories and the prophets, three of the four major sources of the Hebrew worship tradition when he said, you have, have you never read out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants, you have perfected praise, which is Psalm 8, verse 2. The collect for Second Sunday in Advent is another composition by Archbishop Cranmer for the 1549 Book of Common Prayer in celebration of the elevated importance of Advent. The collect reflects the Church of England's commitment after its separation from Rome to encourage Christians to read their own Bibles, specifically to, quote, read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest them. It opens with the only reference in the prayer book to God the Father by the title Blessed Lord and leaves out the traditional final oblation, referencing either the glory of the Trinity or any one of the three divine persons. The term patience and comfort is derived from the epistle reading for the day and is used in its archaic sense, meaning steadfast determination to accomplish the readings. The New English Church Lectionary in the 1549 Book of Common Prayer also provided a reading schedule, the use of which was meant so that parishioners would read the entire New Testament and Old Testament at least once a year and many of the Psalms several times. Now here is the text of the second collect. 
Blessed Lord, who has caused all holy caused all holy scriptures to be read for our learning, grant that we may in such wise hear them, read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest them, that by patience and comfort of thy holy word we may embrace and ever hold fast the blessed hope of everlasting life which thou hast given us in our Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. The illustration is the cover of a first edition of the Great Bible of 1539 A.D., commissioned by the Church of England and printed by the firm of Richard Grafton and Edward Whitchurch. The Great Bible, the text of which was based on Miles Coverdale's Bible of 1535 A.D., was intended for distribution in all the parish churches of England. Whether that lofty goal was ever achieved is questionable. The epistle reading for second Sunday in Advent is Romans 15, 4-13. The pericope is only part of St. Paul's presentation about the dispute between new Jewish converts and older Jews at Rome concerning the applicability of the law. St. Paul's major point made in verses 8 and 9 is that Christ came as the Savior of both Jew and Gentile. He expressed his hope in verse 6 that, quote, you may with one mind and one mouth glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, unquote. And in verse 13, that they may, quote, abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Perhaps in the hope that he might win over reluctant Jews, he quoted from all four pillars of the Hebrew religious tradition, the Law, or Pentateuch, the Histories, the Psalms, and the Prophets. In order of presentation in verses 9b to 12, he cites Psalm 1850, which is verse 49 in the King James text, I will confess you among the Gentiles. Deuteronomy 32.43, Rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. Psalm 117.1, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, laud him, all you people, your people. And finally, Isaiah 11.1, the prophecy of a root of Jesse, in whom the Gentiles shall hope. Next time in episode two, I will have more on how the Isaiah prophecy influenced Christian worship during Advent. The illustration is the larger-than-life statue of St. Paul at St. Paul's Cathedral, London, England, placed on the same spot where the martyr, the Blessed William Tyndale, author of the first New Testament printed in English, preached in the 1520s A.D. The Gospel reading for Second Sunday in Advent is Luke 21, verses 25 to 33. Jesus, his disciples, and some temple scribes are in the temple at Jerusalem on Tuesday or Wednesday in Holy Week 30 A.D. The pericope comes near the end of Jesus' series of references both to signs of the end and immediately preceding the pericope, his prophecy of the destruction of Jerusalem. The illustration is Christ in majesty, an illumination on colored inks and gilt on parchment from the cover of the Codex Amiatinus, 
circle, excuse me, circa 700 AD, a circa 700 AD copy of the Vulgate Bible, which was made at, made at the Benedictine Monastery at Wearmouth Barrow in the Northumbria region of northeastern England. It is said to be the oldest surviving copy of the Vulgate Bible. The Codex has been kept at the Laurentian Library, Florence, Italy, since 1786 A.D. The pericope is presented in two parts. The first part is the concluding verses in Jesus' discussion in verses 25 and 26 of signs, which would be seen in the stars, moon, sun, earth, and the seas, indicating the second coming which would result, quote, in men's hearts failing them from fear and expectation, in which even, quote, the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Now when these things begin to happen, look up and lift up your hearts, because your redemption draws near. In the second half of the pericope, Jesus speaks the parable of the fig tree, which the ripening with the ripening of his fruits as a sign that summer is near. Likewise, these signs are evidence that the kingdom of God draws near. He says in verses 31, 32, and 33, Assuredly, I say to you, this generation will by no means pass away until all things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. The illustration is a circa 700 AD rec representation of the concept of Christ coming in majesty or glory as promised in the closing verses. The opening and closing theme music for this series is a violin, cello, and piano rendition of the evangelical classic Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing, written in 1756 A.D. in England by Robert Robinson, arranged to the American folk tune Nettleton, composed by John Wyeth in 1813 A.D. Music for Advent season in the St. Chrysostom hymnal, which is either not in the venerable 1940 hymnal or is arranged to a different tune, include hymn number three, Lift Up Your Heads, Ye Mighty Gates, written by George Weissel in 1642 A.D. based upon Psalm 24.9 using the Victorian-era translation by the noted translator Catherine Winkworth. It is arranged to the tune Veni Emmanuel, which is the same tune used for O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. Hymn number four, The Advent of Our King, written by the French scholar Charles Coffin in 1786 A.D., using the translation by John Chandler from Hymns Ancient and Modern, the 1861 edition published in London. It is arranged to the easily sung short meter tune, Boylston. And hymn number eight, O Word That Goest Forth on High, a Latin hymn from the 7th century 
reset to the popular and easily sung long meter version of Poor Nobis Nascitur using Michael Praetorius's adaptation from the 17th century, which was harmonized in 1804 by George W. Woodward. You can learn more about the St. Chrysostom Hymnal at the virt- using the virtual bookstore link at the bottom of the homepage at www.anglicaninternetchurch.net. Other AIC resources relative to topics or persons mentioned in this episode include the Lives of the Saints video series. In the first series, in episode 5, I focus on St. Paul. In the second series, in episode 20, I focus on St. Augustine, or as I say in England, known as St. Augustine. The episodes are linked from the digital library page, with the MP3 podcast version of both programs linked from the podcast archive page. In the AIC seasonal video series, The Twelve Days of Christmas, on the first day, December 25th, the theological theme word is love. On the sixth day, December 30th, the theological theme word is joy, from the Latin verb gaudere, to rejoice. And for the eleventh day, January 3rd, the theological theme words are glorifying God. In the AIC Bible study series, New Testament Gospels, from the Gospel of St. Matthew, from the Gospel of St. Matthew, the triumphal entry into Jerusalem is discussed with illustrations in episode 4. From the Gospel of St. Luke, the light and darkness theme of the collect for first Sunday in Advent is discussed in episode 22, based on Luke 11, 33-36. On the podcast homilies page, the podcast homilies for First Sunday in Advent, in which the theme is the coming of the light, and the second Sunday in Advent on the theme of the fire of judgment, are available for listening or downloading. Of special relevance is the discussion for First Sunday in Advent of the lectionary readings from the Psalms and Old Testament lessons and how they complement the epistle and gospel readings. And my suggestion that John 3, 16-21 is another helpful scriptural preparation for the start of Advent season. Other AIC resources in the AIC bookstore mentioned earlier include Layman's Lexicon, in which the entries of interest mentioned in this episode are Day of the Lord on page 55, Glory on pages 90 to 91, Hosanna slash Hosannas on page 113, Love slash Loving on pages 138 to 139, and Second Coming on pages 202 to 203. In Occasional Services for Anglican Worship, the Advent Re-Ceremony for the First Sunday in Advent and Second Sunday in Advent is found on pages 171 to 174. Information about Layman's Lexicon 
and occasional services for Anglican worship and all our AIC bookstore publications can be found using the virtual bookstore link at the bottom of the homepage, www.anglicaninternetchurch.net. Finally, other AIC resources include Father Ron's blog, a page which I post new information, usually weekly, generally including at least one graphic from our archive of historic church art from both the Western and Eastern church traditions. You can reach the page by clicking the Father Ron's blog tab from the site menu at the top or bottom of the page, or you can enter the direct URL address in your browser, http colon slash slash www anglicaninternetchurch.net right slash blog with blog in all lowercase letters. Once on the blog page, I invite you to become a follower by clicking the Follow Anglican Internet Church legend. You'll be asked to enter your email address to receive notice of each new posting from our site host, wordpress.com. Thank you for joining me for Episode 1. Next time in Episode 2, I will discuss the third and fourth Sundays in Advent and related material including the Grado Antiphons for the final seven days of Advent and Lessons and Carols for Christmas Eve. Until next time, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make His face to shine upon you and be merciful to you. May the Lord lift up His countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen. Glory be to God for all things. Amen. This program has been a presentation of the Anglican Internet Church. We invite you to visit our website and make use of its resources at www.anglican.com internetchurch.net